Skin is the story about ex-neo-Nazi member Brian Widener, who escaped a life of hatred and violence. Based on a true story, the film stars Jamie Bell, Danielle McDonald, Mike Coulter, and Vera Farmiga. A few weeks ago, Tuesday and I reviewed the film, and it left a huge impact on the both of us, both for the story's brutality, but also for the fact that it asks difficult questions. Who deserves redemption? Can you ever stop being a racist? Or is it a lifelong journey to change? Recently, we spoke with writer and director and Academy Award winner Guy Nativ. Already a respected director in his home country of Israel, Nativ explained that he was looking for a story to tell American audiences. During this time, he was also working on getting his green card and proposed to his then-girlfriend, now-wife. He begins by telling us how he first came across Widener's story and what drove him to tell it. Here's Nativ. I was looking for my first U.S. feature, like a topic that I can relate to. So I was just in a coffee shop reading the paper, and then I um, saw this crazy article, um, and I saw this kind of a montage of Brian Widener's face from being fully tattooed to clean face. And I read the article, I read the story of how this man, this head of a gang in the Midwest, just did the impossible, you know, because most most as fascist skinheads, neo-Nazis are either dead because they're like, you know, they uh, drink so much and they use drugs and they're, you know, or they're, they're dead because of a gang-related um, shootout, you know, so they don't live till 40, that's for sure. Uh, or they're in jail. What I loved about the story, I loved the connection between him and Daryl Mon Jenkins, the African-American activist, and Julie uh, with her three little girls, and you know how she helped him get out of the movement. And and you know, and I, and I called my wife and I told her that I think I found my first U.S. feature. And they, we're talking like five years ago, six years ago. So it's it was really uh, pre-Trump, pre-everything. Um, you know, and my wife loved it and thought it's very thought-provoking. And through MSNBC that made a documentary on Brian and Julie and, and Daryl called Erasing Hate by Bill Bromwell, um, we got their email address. And I, I wrote Brian Widener email about my life, about who I am, about my Holocaust survivor um, grandparents and um, the fact that my grandfather also saw the article and gave me the blessing to tell this story and why it's important to tell this story now. And after two months, uh, which I didn't hear from them, they emailed me back and said, hi, let's Skype, because they were very suspicious you know, of, of people. They were under um, kind of an FBI, um, you know, kind of a, like a witness protection. So I Skype with them and they saw that we're legit. And after that, we just flew to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Me, I flew from Tel Aviv, my wife flew from LA and we met in this kind of a deserty coffee shop. Um, they circled the coffee shop like seven times to see that we're cool, that we're not like some kind of a hitman. And uh, we just, you know, I was the first Jewish Israeli that he met. He was the basically uh, first neo-Nazi skinhead, ex-neo-Nazi skinhead that I met. And it was kind of like a normal, you know, uh, meeting between two people, between two human beings. 
And he was, he, to my surprise, he was very, very intelligent. And he told me I hated Jews. I hated African-Americans and I, and Asian, but I didn't know why. I didn't have even have ideology. I'm not a political person. They just taught me how to hate from the age of 14. And then I think I understood that these gangs are even, you know, a lot of them are not even political. They don't have like political agenda. They brainwash those kids from the age of 14 and they make them like they're soldiers in a way. They give them food, they give them family uh, feeling and, and that's how they attract them it's a cult you know so um i he signed the life rights on a napkin and he said that he's very emotional that an israeli jew will tell his story from his perspective and and since then you know i started writing the script and with his help because obviously english is my second language so he helped me with a lot of dialogues and how you know how they spoke and what's right and what's not what's too far-fetched and what I can, I can tell and what I cannot tell because there was stuff that the FBI didn't let him tell mm, okay. uh, change the names and all the stuff and you know after I finished the script uh, after two years no one in Hollywood wanted to tell this story and and give me money to tell this story because they thought that neo-nazi skinheads are not a real thing in the states and you know a bunch of like 15 people in the midwest is not enough to give you money to do the film and i was really frustrated because i did my research and i i saw a different picture so um my wife and i uh decided um after a real deep talk to put all our savings into a short film uh, my friend Sean Maimon called me from Israel and told me, hey, I've got an idea for a short film. What do you think about that? And he gave me the DNA of the short. And I thought that it's a very, very powerful, you know, it's coming from the DNA of like what you teach your kids going to end up biting you in the ass <laughs> in a way. And, and, and we shot the short. We edited the short partly in Israel with my friends and sent it out to the world. And then... Two things happened. Uh, first, the short was very um, powerful and you know made people think, and so we got different reactions from producers. And Trump got elected. Charlottesville happened, and you know the synagogue massacre in the East Coast, and 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 the, the America became like crazy. You know, racism was the front yard of America and not the, the backyard of America anymore. And I think that would change the whole pictures. And then three people who are, I, I owe them so much, um, Oren Movement, Serlene Retray, and Trudy Styler, who is Sting's wife, saw the short, read the feature, and said we're in. And wow. that's where we started shooting the, the feature, not from a political perspective, but from a human perspective aspect human perspective of someone who is trying to basically killing himself while drinking in a cycle of violence and, and drinking and try to find a, a window for redemption his own redemption it's own it's almost laughable now to think that financial backers were so not against it but not willing not willing or interested in this story and now skin is so extremely prevalent in today's age. It's just very interesting. So the short 
is actually kind of a stepping stone where you kind of conveyed there is an issue in America. It became very successful. And in turn, you got to tell the true story of Brian that you wanted to from day one. Exactly. I think the short was made only to make the feature happen. We didn't even think, you know, we didn't get into Sundance. We didn't get into Berlin, which is like my second home because I was there like five times with my films. We didn't get into Cannes. So I thought to myself, okay, well, it made, you know, it did what it did, what it had to do, which is like make the feature happen. And only after, I think only after we won the Holy Shorts Film Festival in LA, which was a festival that I didn't even hear about of, um, and it won, it, it got into the, the short list and then to the five and then we won and, and we were shocked. And now it's crossed uh, 150 film festivals um, around the world. Wow. So I, I, it's an, it, I, so look, it's, it's a controversial subject. I know, I, ne- I knew that I'm going in to a war zone because, you know, when Vietnam happened, only 10 years after Vietnam, in Hollywood, they start to do films about about the subject because they needed time to digest what's going what's going on. You know, Deer Hunter and the whole, you know, Apocalypse Now and all those films came after the war, but it it's not during the war. So I knew that you know this uh, my movie is coming out in a very very tough time when people are still angry, and you can feel that the that a lot of the reactions are like the movie is great. Jamie Bell is amazing, but it's hard for us to even think about accepting someone like that. Yeah, this film just really struck me very powerfully because I hadn't seen anything quite like this at all. And it does feel very relevant with the political climate now. So I was interested to know, how did you balance like, you know, the real story with, you know, needing to fictionalize certain parts of it to make sure that you still capture the authentic story? Unfortunately, most of the stuff in the movie are not fiction. Unfortunately, there were stuff that I couldn't bring into the movie. I mean, the mosque thing, it's equivalent to what happened in the the Sikh temple in, in the East Coast. And, you know, it's there's a lot of things that I change names and I change a little bit of characters just not to hit the right people the the, the real people so i needed to the, the stretch was basically um kind of an uh, security stretch that um I, and, and we sent it to the fbi the script what i can tell what i cannot tell and you know we they they scanned it i went to the splc center and i you know i gave them a read and brian widener and and daryl mo jenkins and you know and the lawyer went over because when you tell a story about a gang that basically still exists, it's very, very dangerous. So, you know, I, I needed to do my stretch around characters and, you know, a, a lot of people can't believe that it really happened, but it did and, and much worse than that. So I, I, I needed to do this thing in order to protect my protagonist who is still alive and, and you know, changing home every couple of months uh, just to not to be, you know, a target because he still is uh, someone who live under, you know, different names. I can't even fathom what that would be like to 
be so skeptical of everyone and everything around you. I had a, a quick question about filming. So while you're actually on scene and working on the performances, all of the actors are extremely authentic in their performances. There's also some very serious scenes. And so for you, watching these very true-to-life characters, how does that affect you emotionally as you directed, as well as what is the atmosphere like when you are on scene and even off scene of those very tough situations? For myself, I was amazed by how dedicated and and full in, you know, and how um, amazing my actors are because they did the work without me. I just gave them the tools and the platform and they came to set and they did such an amazing job. And to see Jamie with those tattoos and Danielle and the girls and, and this scene happens, I think the entire crew were, were, were shocked by how powerful and authentic it is. Now, we shared the same hotel up in Kingston, um, which is uh, upstate New York. And we were basically like a family. So after every, every hard scene, let's say the pool scene, or, you know, when Jamie's like uh, the, the car, the, the car, um, the car scene where, where Jamie's being stabbed and, you know, it's just, you could feel that after every scene, Jamie's taking the girls and Danielle and just hug them for a minute, just hug and tell them it's just a movie. It's okay. I love you. And it was so gentle and beautiful from his um, perspective to do so because he, nobody wanted to talk to him or eat with him lunch because he was so Brian, you know? So I felt that he stepped out of his character for a second, gave someone a hug and told him, are you okay? And he says, yes. And then he went back to his Brian. That which is was so amazing beautiful. to me and, and such a pleasure. I know. Wow. That, yeah. Well, because I, I can't imagine this going in, you know, and playing these characters and, and doing the research, digging in deep like that. It's, it's got to kind of sit with you and stick with you. So, yeah. just wow. <laughs> well, I, I guess I, know. <laughs> I was interested did the real Brian ever come and visit set or was he ever there? Um, and get, got to see anything, or was he just there with you at the beginning with writing? So here's two anecdotes. Um, not only he came to set, he came to set with Daryl Mon Jenkins, the African-American activist. They both came to the to, to uh, one week on the set, and it was right, really hard for Brian to see this happens in front of his eyes because he basically saw himself. And I think it was the um, car graveyard scene that he came to me and said, sorry, sorry, man, I got to go back to my hotel room. I, I, it's too much for me. I'm shaking. He felt that he, it's bringing, it's like post-traumatic, you know, stress all over again, uh, uh, leaving those scenes and it was too much for him. The emotional part of this road with the movie that a week ago, we opened in New York and secretly we brought Brian uh, Widener and Daryl and we surprised the audience in one of those screenings. And we came after the screening and we said, um, you guys, you are the lucky ones we, because we have a surprise for you. 
Um, you know, we have a lot of superhero movies right now in the cinema, on TV. A lot of them are like not real. A lot of them are fantasy. But right now with us here, we have the real superhero, Daryl Lamont Jenkins, and he got standing ovation. And then Daryl took the microphone and said, and I have another surprise for you. Uh, I want you to give a lot of love to a friend of mine that went through a lot in his life and just want to become a better person. Please welcome Brian Widener. And he came out and he got another standing ovation. And that was very, very emotional from the New York audience to give to these two people. And we had a party after that and he went back home, but it was, it was very emotional. Wow. That's incredible. I just want to say one thing, you know, um, a lot of people are looking for, you know, the perfect redemption, you know, the perfect, like, I was wrong. You know, I, I, I'm not a racist. I was like, they want to hear those sentences. They want to hear someone say, you know, I'm not a fascist. I'm not someone I, I was wrong and go and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But and, and a, lot of, a lot of people, they asked me, what was, what, they asked Brian, what was the moment that you understood that you're not racist anymore? And I, unfortunately, life is not that, you know, it, it doesn't work this way. Brian, it took Brian a while to understand that what he's doing, you know, and the way he lived since he was 14 is wrong. And unfortunately, it was not about his political standpoint. It was not about hating Jews because Jews are the enemy of the world. Uh, it, it was total brain, brainwashing what a lot of those kids are, are going through. And if you ask a lot of those people, why are you hating this and that? I think that you know a lot of them will tell you, I don't know, I just hate because they taught me how to hate. So I know it's hard for a lot of people to, you know, to, to, but Brian's story is very authentic in a way that a gang is a gang is a gang. It could be skinheads, it could be ISIS, or it could be another gang in, you know, in, in Lebanon, you know, or in the, in Israel. So I, I just think that it's hard for Americans to fathom the fact that not every fascist is driven by politics. And, and that's why skin is a unique animal in, the, in that sense, that it's, it's, it's asking the, the, the audience a question. Do you have a place in your heart? I don't want you to forgive anyone, but to accept someone who wants to be a better person. And a lot of people say no. A lot of people say no, I, I don't have that in my heart. But some say yes. And I think that I hope that five years from now, six years from now, we'll look at that in a different way. That is Guy Nativ, the writer and director of the film Skin, which is now playing in select theaters. And Guy, thank you so much for speaking with us today and just sharing the backstory on this amazing, incredible film. Thank you so much, you guys. And thank you for supporting us. Uh, we really appreciate it. All the team, all of Skin team. Skin is playing in select theaters and is also available on DirecTV and on iTunes. Stay up to date with all movie reviews, news, and interviews by subscribing to us. Just search for Whiskey and Popcorn on either iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud. 
Like and follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, you can find us on our website, whiskeyandpopcorn.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you at the movies. <laughs>